Would you turn your Bible, please, to Matthew, the 17th chapter, Matthew 17, and we're reading verses 14 to 21. Matthew 17, verses 14 to 21, and those of you who studied in Sunday school this morning recognized this as part of the Sunday school lesson, and I felt impressed to focus our attention again on this section of Scripture. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we pray this morning that the Spirit of the Lord will interpret the Word to us. And may we sense the heartbeat of God, the mind of the Holy Spirit. And may someone who has never been saved be moved to that cross about which Brother Carl sang. We thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And we pray that this morning, Thy Holy Spirit would move every heart to Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and greatly vexed, for often he falleth into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Move from here to yonder place, and it shall shall move, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, save by prayer and fasting. This kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. We want to focus our attention on that verse this morning. One of the difficult verses for a lot of Baptists, a lot of God's people. This kind goeth not out, except by prayer and fasting. You recall the story of this text. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain, probably Mount Hermon. And there was transfigured before them, and there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking to the Lord Jesus about his decease at Jerusalem. Down in the valley, the other disciples, Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas, and the others, were trying to carry on the work of the Lord while Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain with Jesus. And after a while, when Jesus and the three of the inner circle came back down into the valley, A man came to Jesus and said, Sir, I have a son. Your your English Bible says he's a lunatic. Perhaps a better translation would be to say he's an epileptic. He had problems. And the source of the problem seemed to be not so much in inheritance, nor in environment, but in demon work. And this man said, I brought him to your disciples, Lord, but they couldn't cure him. 
Could you do something for him? And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Oh, faithless people, how long can I forbear? How long will I be with you? And Jesus spoke the word, and the man was healed. The demon was cast out, and the man was healed, and in his right mind, and all that disease and problem was gone. And the disciples came and said, Lord, why couldn't we cure him? And Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Move from here to yonder place, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out except by prayer and fasting. Now what is the meaning of verse 21? Some have pointed out that the word fasting is not in some of the oldest manuscripts that we have of Matthew. There have been others who have said the disciples here had no miracle faith. Still others suggest that perhaps the problem was while Peter, James, and John were up in the mountain with the Lord, Matthew and Bartholomew and Thomas and the others had quibbled and grumbled and gotten jealous because Peter, James, and John were with the Lord. And my dear friend, there is nothing that hurts the Christian's life more than criticism. There is nothing that will rob you of your authority and your power with men and with God more quickly than lining up with cynics and skeptics and critics and grumblers and murmurers. And if this were the case, then no longer, no wonder they had no power. They could not speak the word and the man be healed. Now these same men had cast out demons before. These same, same men had been empowered by God, but somehow they had lost their power. They had lost their authority. And the man came to the Lord and said, Lord, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't help him. Can you do something? I want to suggest to you today there are degrees in the intensity of the forms of evil ascribed to demons amounting to generic differences. Some might yield before the energy of human will. Some might yield before the power of the divine name, Jesus. Some might yield before a weak prayer of faith. But some require a greater intensity of spiritual life. Remember the disciples did not yet fast. The bridegroom was yet with them, Jesus said. And when the bridegroom is here, why should they fast? But when he is taken away, then they will fast. They had been weak in faith and prayer. The Lord was not with them. He was on the mountain. The Lord was here warning them that there would be times when the need would call for greater spiritual intensity. And as we think of this passage, I want us to think for these next few moments of the meaning of fasting. Secondly, the times of fasting. And number three, the real fast. This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. What does fasting mean? Well, first of all, it means a voluntary abstinence of food. In Matthew 4, 2, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and after he was hungry. 
In Luke 2.37, we read about Anna being in the temple and she fasted, hoping to see and looking forward to see the Messiah. We read again about fasting in Acts chapter 14. Fasting was common among the Jews. Later it became common among the Christians in the early church. The Day of Atonement was also referred to as the Day of Fast in Acts 27.9. In Leviticus 16.29 we read that the Day of Atonement was a day of, of soul stirring. It was a day of looking into the soul and afflicting the soul and afflicting the body. Anything that would hurt man's relationship to God was to be gotten rid of so that he could concentrate fully upon the Lord. Fasting is also described in 2 Corinthians 6, 5 and 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven as an involuntary abstinence during very trying circumstances. This is the reason Paul said, in fastings often, not necessarily because I desired it, but because it was necessity, it was necessary. We think of some of the men who were in the armed forces and because of crises times, maybe out on a raft in the ocean. They went through long periods of fasting. Paul said, that's what happened to me in the middle of the work of the Lord. I was right in the middle of it and I didn't have time to eat. I didn't have time for the, the personal desires of the flesh. Jesus told us something about fasting when he said in Matthew 6, 16, moreover when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, and obviously the reward was to be seen of men. When we fast, we're told by the Lord that we're not to have long faces and go around saying, well, this is my fast day. I'm so proud that I'm fasting today. I want everybody to know about it. The Lord said, when you fast, it should be a matter between your heart and God. And it is either a voluntary or an involuntary abstinence of food and other areas of physical needs. And you do it as unto the Lord, not unto men. And it has to do with the intensity of spiritual power that is needed. And I would like to hasten to say that not everybody has experienced fasting, but those who have experienced fasting might say with Arthur Wallace, who wrote in his book, God's Choice Fast, when exercised with a pure heart and a right motive, fasting may provide us with a key to unlock doors where other keys have failed, a window opening up new horizons in the unseen world, a spiritual weapon of God's providing mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Now we think of some of those times of fasting. There are times when the need of the hour demands a greater spiritual intensity than we have had other times. I think of Moses, the lawgiver. Before he gave the law, he went up on Sinai and the Bible says clearly that he fasted 40 days. He was alone with God. And from that moment alone with God, God mediated through angels to Moses the great Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, 
which formed the basis for all the laws of the civilized world. David the king had a little boy that was very sick. The Bible says he fasted and prayed before God for God to heal that little boy. The little boy did not get well. But nonetheless, in this spiritual time of intensity, David, so anxious in his soul, went through a period of fasting. Daniel the prophet in the land of Babylon was greatly moved by God to get close enough to God so he could interpret the signs of the times and interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar who could not even remember his own dream. And the Bible says Daniel fasted and prayed. The Lord Jesus went up into the Mount of, Trans of, the, of Temptation which was near the, near the city of Jericho, near the Jordan River. And the Bible says he fasted and prayed forty days and afterward he was hungry and then the tempter came and it was the introduction of his ministry it was shortly after his baptism and it was before his public ministry the Lord Jesus was alone with God I think of Hannah in the Old Testament who prayed for a boy and the Bible says she fasted and prayed I think of Anna who was looking for the coming of the Messiah I think of Martin Luther and in his biography he tells of times just before nailing the 98 theses to the door of the Wittenberg church when he was going through a great spiritual struggle he fasted and prayed for God's spiritual power upon his life John Knox facing the tyranny and the wrath of the Queen of Scotland John Knox said give me Scotland or I die and in that time John, Cal John Knox was giving himself to prayer and fasting. Jonathan Edwards was the man who is credited by the religious biographers of, you know, of this new world with introducing the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards preached that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And his biography relates how he fasted and prayed for God's spiritual strength and power upon his life. That was in the 1740s. And there ensued such a great revival in America that later on, on July 4th, 1776, there was the spiritual power in the lives of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence to say, we will pledge our wealth and fame and fortune and everything. And there was built in this continent the greatest nation, the greatest missionary task force the world has ever seen. John Wesley, David Brainerd, Charles Finney. We could go on and on with God's great men who knew how to fast and pray. But I think of this nation under God with terrific force. Someone has reminded us of the intense concern of those who signed the Declaration of Independence in these words. Philadelphia, 1776. Fifty-six men met together and signed a new document. That parchment was to stand forever as a partnership between the living and the dead and the yet unborn. We call it the Declaration of Independence. He died to make men holy. Let us die to make men free was their cry. And there is a price tag on liberty. You will recall the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence states, We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, our sacred honor. 
The 56 signatures on that Declaration of Independence were kept secret for nearly a year because of the gallant 56 who made that promise <clears throat> when they knew, when they signed, they were risking everything. If they won the fight, the best they could expect would be years of hardship and a struggling new nation. If they lost, they'd face a hangman's rope as traitors. Now these were men of means, well-educated. Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants. Nine were farmers and owners of large plantations. Here is the document, the fate of the heroic 56 who signed the Declaration of Independence. Few survived very long. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes looted or destroyed by the enemy. Nine of the 56 died in the war from its hardship and bullets. Wealthy planter and trader Carter Braxton of Virginia saw his ships swept from the sea in battle. To pay his debts, he sold his home and all of his properties. He died in rags. Thomas McKean of Delaware was so harassed by the enemy, he was forced to move his family five times in five months. He served in Congress without pay, his family in poverty and hiding. Thomas Nelson, Jr. raised $2 million on his own signature to provision our allies, the French fleet. After the war, he wiped out his entire estate, paying back the loans. He was never reimbursed by his government. He died bankrupt and was buried in an unmarked grave. Thomas Nelson, Jr. pledged his life, his fortune, his sacred honor. John Hart was driven from his dying wife's bedside. For more than a year, he lived in forests and caves and returned home after the war to find his wife dead, his children gone, his property worthless. He died a few weeks later of exhaustion and a broken heart. John Hancock, one of the wealthiest men in New England, stood out bo outside Boston one terrible night of the war and said, burn Boston, burn, though it make John Hancock a beggar, burn. He too lived up to the pledge. These were not poor or wild-eyed pirates. They were basically rich men who enjoyed ease and luxury in their personal living. They were not hungry men. They were wealthy and prosperous. But they considered liberty so much more important than security that they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They fulfilled the pledge. They paid the price. And freedom was born. Ladies and gentlemen, they fasted and prayed. That's what fasting and prayer is. It means so much involvement in the thing that is before you, the task that God has given you, that food is of secondary importance. That the enjoyments of life are of little value. That the relationships even in the home are of second importance to the plan and purpose that God has for your life. That is real fasting. And Jesus said, This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. I want to ask you, have you faced some times in your life when there was no way but through and you didn't know what to do that calls for intensity of spiritual purpose 
And Jesus said to his disciples, your faithlessness, your little belief, that's what's caused the problem. This is the reason you could not cure the man. This is what hinders your spiritual life. This is why we do not win the lost. This is why we do not get thousands of missionaries out as a task force around the world. This is the reason we've lost the holy glow about our lives. Because we fail to pay the price. And the price could involve in your life, in my life, prayer and fasting. An intensity of spiritual concern that leads us to say no matter what, no matter what, no matter what privation, I'll do what God wants me to do. Are you hungry for spiritual power this morning or are you satisfied with yourself? I don't want to raise, ask for a raise of hands, but I wonder if there are some hungry people in here this morning. I don't mean hungry for biscuits and gravy and steak and mashed potatoes and eggs and all that. I enjoy those things too. But I wonder if there are some people here this morning hungry for spiritual power. You've lost the, the axe head, so to speak. You've been chopping away, but there's little results. You've been trying to do the work of God, and the instrument is dull. That's what Jesus is talking about. Spiritual power. Power with men. Power with God. In Isaiah chapter 58, we read about the true fast. Listen to these words. Why have we fasted, say they, say they, and thou seest not? Why have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day of the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Number one, to loose the bands of wickedness. Number two, to undo the heavy burdens. Number three, to let the oppressed go free. Number four, to break every yoke. Number five, to deal thy bread to the hungry. Number six, that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. Number seven, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him. Number eight, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth like the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go forth before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear guard. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here am I. If thou takest away the midst of thee the yoke, and putting forth of the finger, and speaketh vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be like the noonday. Ah, beloved friend, there's the answer. You want spiritual power to cast out the demon? You want the spiritual power to win the lost? 
You want the spiritual power to have a home that will honor the Lord Jesus Christ. You want the spiritual power to understand the scriptures. You want the spiritual power with God and men. It's available. That power is available. But you must pay the price. I urge you to pay that price today. To say, Lord, I'm tired of this faithlessness. I want something better. I want something deeper. I want God's touch upon my life. That touch comes in two ways. Number one, first of all, at Calvary. There's no way to get the touch of God upon your life without going to Calvary. There's no way to have God's power without having God's pardon. And that pardon is all involved at the cross. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. And you can have that power of pardon if you'll come to Christ today with just as you are. If you're lost, come with your sin and your, your burden and your heartache and your hurt. Just come. And Jesus said, I will in no wise cast you out. If you're already saved, and somehow there's been a restless wandering away from God and you haven't had the spiritual touch of God like God wants go back to Calvary they said in the Old Testament go back to Bethel go back to the place where you got the power and that happened at Calvary go to the cross take your sins take your life and bring it all to him and then secondly if you want the power and the touch of God ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And whatever the Holy Spirit guides your heart and life to do, it may be giving yourself to prayer and fasting. It may be humbling yourself in the sight of God and men. It may be coming to the Lord and saying, nothing in my hands I bring, not my personality, not my human persuasiveness, not my attractiveness, not the things I have, not my influence, but, oh, Holy Spirit, I long for Thee. O river of God, flow down on me. O river of God, flow out through me. O river of God, so rich and free. O river of God, I thirst for thee. This kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. What will God have you to do about what you've heard today? May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity of being in this hour. Thank You for everyone who has assembled, and we pray now that the Holy Spirit will show us the truth. This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting, an intensity of faith desire that reaches out and says, Lord, whatever Your tug at my heart tells me to do, I'll do it without asking questions. Touch the lost and bring conviction. Encourage the saved to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation. And of course, we remember this is His invitation. It isn't mine. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. And whosoever will, let him come and take the water of life. God wants to offer you a cool, cold cup of water, the water of life. It quenches the thirst. It satisfies the heart cry and the heart needs. And it brings 
in its waters healing and pardon and salvation. Would you take of that water of life today? God help you to do it. If you're without Jesus, come to him. Come and let us meet with you here at the front and you take an open stand and let others know that Jesus has come into your life or you're seeking him. If you're not sure how to be saved, if you'll come, just come. We want to talk to you about how to know Jesus as your Savior. If your church membership is somewhere else and God wants you at Glendale, you come today. There may be some who are thirsty for God's power. You really desire it deep inside. Maybe you can satisfy that heart cry by standing there and telling the Lord your personal decision and commitment. Maybe God will lead you to come here and register it openly. You do what God tells you to do while we begin to sing, who will step for the king, will you come?